Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, and I'll read verse 40 and verse 52. Luke Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, speaking of Jesus, and the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And down in verse 52, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This morning, we began to look at these two verses, and Luke gives them here as a summary of the early life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 40 is a summary of his first 12 years of life as a child. And then we have that incident in the intervening verses where Jesus at 12 years old went up into the temple with his parents. And then in verse 52, Luke gives us a second summary verse that covers from the age of 12 to the age of about 30 when he began his ministry in the following chapter. And we see in both of these verses, as we saw this morning, that Jesus was increasing as a man, as a child, a young man, a teenager, always increasing in wisdom. In verse 40, he was increasing in wisdom. And then in verse 52, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom through all of those years. Down in verse 52, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. He was the living embodiment of God's law. He was filled with the wisdom of all of God's word and the book of Proverbs. We continue to look at the growth of Jesus tonight. We see in verse 52, that he kept increasing in wisdom and in stature. Increasing in stature would refer to his physical development. Jesus grew up in a large family. He had at least four brothers and a number of sisters. And his legal father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And Jesus learned that trade from Joseph and practiced it until the time of his public ministry. Carpentry was hard and physical labor, which required much strength. And so Jesus would have grown into considerable physical strength and stature as a man. People said, the people said of Jesus, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are that not his sisters here with us? And it seems that after 12 years old, at some time, his Joseph died in the intervening years, and Joseph is not mentioned again in the scripture. And Jesus, as the oldest son, became the provider for his mother and his younger siblings. The work of carpentry involved the building of houses, the making of furniture and household utensils, farming implements and tools, plows and yokes. Jesus spoke of these things in his parable. He spoke of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And Jesus said to sinful men, come to me. He said, come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. This evening, the subject which we want to consider is the increasing favor and delight of God the Father upon Jesus. And we want to look at this subject at the three stages of his earthly life. First, his childhood. Second, his public ministry. And then third, his death upon the cross. And so in the first place tonight, the increasing favor and delight of the Father upon Jesus during his childhood. Luke covers the childhood of Christ and through his 
younger years in this passage. And it is the words at the end of verse 52, which perhaps we could pass over too quickly and miss the meaning of them, which we want to focus our attention upon this night. And Luke says in verse 52, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, and then he says, And in favor with God and men. He kept increasing in favor with God and men. Now we can easily understand how as a man, Jesus always increasing in wisdom, he would also increase in his favor from fellow man, his reputation with them. There was such fruit of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, in love, joy, peace, in kindness, gentleness, and patience, and all of it was manifested in his relationships with others. And so all who had any sense of good and wise behavior, Jesus would have grown in favor with them. It is true that when he began to preach the kingdom of God in the gospel, he was rejected by many, and he was despised and forsaken of men. But this does not contradict what Luke is saying here, because it was by no fault of Jesus, it was only because of the sin and the rebellion of those who opposed him. We can easily understand how Jesus kept increasing in favor with men. But the question is, how can it be said here at the end of verse 52 that Jesus kept increasing in favor with God? Which is what Luke is clearly saying that throughout these younger years of his life, before he entered his ministry in his childhood as a teenage boy, into his adulthood, Jesus kept increasing in favor with God. Favor means pleasure or delight. It includes love and approval and approbation. How can Luke say that Jesus kept increasing in favor with God, so that God the Father came to increasing measures of pleasure, delight, and approval upon his beloved Son. This surely cannot speak of his divine nature, because the Father always had love for his Son from eternity, and infinite and unchangeable love and delight for him as his only begotten Son, And because the Father's love was infinite for him, it could never be subject to any increase. Jesus spoke of the Father's love for him in different passages. John chapter 5 and verse 20, he said, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he is doing. And the Father always loved the Son from eternity in the blessed Trinity and the three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father spoke of his love and his delight for the Son in a passage such as Isaiah chapter 42 in verse 1, where the Father said, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, he said, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The Father had an infinite, eternal, and unchanging love and delight in his beloved Son. So how can Luke say here at the end of verse 52 that Jesus kept increasing? Jesus kept increasing in the favor, in the love, in the approval and the approbation of his heavenly Father upon him, in the pleasure of God over him. How can this be? The answer again as we saw this morning, is found in regard to his humanity, which is what Luke is speaking of in this this passage. Just as he was always increasing in wisdom as a young man and in the obedience that comes from wisdom, so he was always increasing in the favor, the delight, and the pleasure of his heavenly Father upon him. As Jesus passed through the various stages of his earthly life, there was an ever-increasing favor, love, 
and delight of the Father upon him as the God-man which came to its ultimate and final consummation in his death upon the cross. The increasing trials and the demands of his life were met by an ever-increasing obedience, which brought down the ever-increasing favor and delight of the Father upon him until he came to that greatest act of obedience, which was the obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. The eternal love of the Father for the Son as the Son, that eternal love could never increase, but the love of the Father upon him as the God-man incarnate, that love could increase, and it did. And what is even more remarkable is that when we remember what Luke said back in chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel said to Mary, announced the birth of Jesus, the angel Gabriel referred to Jesus as the holy offspring. He shall come forth as the holy offspring. And so he was perfectly holy, even as he was born from his mother's womb, and the father loved him from the beginning. But now, but now his holiness was to be tested. In the fiery furnace of the trials and struggles of his life, in a world of sin, as if his holiness was put down into the fiery furnace, and the fires of the furnace were heated seven times hotter, and yet his holiness was proven at every point to be perfectly pure. The holy offspring proved in his own life that he was pure gold without any dross. This is what Luke is telling us took place in these early years of his life, from infancy to childhood. And then as a young man into adulthood, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in the obedience which comes from it. And so he kept increasing in the favor of God and the love and the delight of his heavenly Father upon him. There is an important principle of Scripture that lies behind all this, and it's found in the book of Psalms in one, as one place in the Bible, and it is that the Lord is righteous and he loves righteousness. And we'll turn to one passage in Psalm 11, back in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 11. In Psalm 11 and verse 7, the first half of the verse, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness. He speaks first of the character of God, that he is a righteous God, a holy God. The Lord is righteous. And then because of his own righteousness, he loves righteousness meaning that he takes the highest pleasure and delight in righteousness. He rejoices in his righteous people, and he rejoices wherever he sees righteousness lived out in the world. He loves righteousness in himself, and so he loves righteousness wherever he finds it. We find the same truth in other verses in the book of Psalms, Psalm 146 and verse 8, the Lord loves the righteous. And Psalm 33 and verse 5, he loves righteousness and justice. And so much does he love righteousness that his favor will come upon all who walk in it, as we see at the end of verse 7, the upright, those who walk in righteousness, they will behold his face in this world and in the world to come. And if all of this is true in regard to us as his people, with our faltering and imperfect efforts at righteousness, then how much does God the Father love the perfect righteousness that was seen in his beloved son Jesus? The only man who ever lived a life of perfect righteousness on the earth. The Lord is righteous. The Lord loves righteousness 
and he loved and he rejoiced over the righteousness of his perfect and beloved son. What greater delight could the father ever have that when he looked down from his throne in heaven and he saw his beloved son, Jesus, for the first time since the creation, here was a man who walked in perfect righteousness. The law of God, his father, was upheld. Jesus fulfilled in every way the will of God. This is what Luke is telling us took place in the early life of Jesus. He kept increasing in wisdom and in the righteousness that comes from that wisdom. And so he kept increasing in the love of God upon him and in the favor and delight of his heavenly father. The Lord is righteous and he loves righteousness. We'll turn back to the gospel of Luke and where we began back in chapter 2. This is what was taking place in these early years of the life of Jesus. As we see in verse 52, he kept increasing in wisdom and stature, and he kept increasing as well in favor with God. This is the Father's delight in him in this childhood. But then we come to our second point this evening, which is the increasing love and delight of the Father upon Jesus in his public ministry. And we can glance over now as we come to his public ministry, glance over to Luke chapter 4. And here we come to the very beginning of his ministry after his baptism. And the chapter opens with Jesus being led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. We will not look at the details of each temptation, but we see that Jesus resisted the devil each time with scripture. In verse 4, and Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And then again in verse 8, and Jesus answered and said to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And once again down in verse 12, and Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test the fiery missiles of the evil one and the powers of darkness were unleashed against Jesus. And each time he met those temptations with the words of scripture, for it is written. And what joy it must have given to his father in heaven as he saw the wisdom of his beloved son, Jesus, who knew how to use the scriptures and how to overcome and fight every temptation which came against him. In the first creation, when God finished all of his work, including the man and the woman, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, we read that God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. But that first Adam, he fell so easily when he was tempted by Satan in the garden, but here comes the second Adam, and he stood against all the powers of darkness in the wilderness, and his Father in heaven must have rejoiced. God the Father saw all that his beloved Son had done, and behold, it was exceedingly good and exceedingly wonderful. This was the reason the Father sent him into the world, because Satan had set up his kingdom of darkness in the world, and the powers of darkness were holding men in bondage as captives, but the Father loved his people and sent his Son to rescue them from the devil's power. The Son of God has appeared for this purpose, John says, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus himself would later say, I have seen Satan falling like lightning, his powers falling like lightning, out of heaven, and this is where it began. There were demands, there were demands of obedience upon Jesus throughout his childhood that his father had great delight in. But those demands were now 
greatly increasing as he entered his public ministry as seen in his temptations. And they would continue to increase through all the sufferings, the trials, and the struggles of his ministry. But Jesus would meet every challenge with perfect and increasing levels of obedience. And as he continued in his obedience, he kept increasing, as Luke says, in the favor of God upon him, in the love, the delight, and the approbation of God the Father upon him in all that he did. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And he said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he pleased the Father more and more, so the Father's favor and his rejoicing over him was more and more. We can turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15, and we'll read verses 9 and 10. Jesus says in verse 9, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In verse 9, the love of Jesus for us is so great that he likens the Father's love for him to his love for us, just as the Father has loved me I have also loved you. And then he says, abide in my love. Remain in my love. Continue in my love. Stay under my love. But how is it that we abide in his love? He tells us in the beginning of verse 10, by keeping his commandments. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, Jesus, when he speaks here of keeping his commandments, he does not mean that we are to keep his commandments in order to earn his love or to enter into his love to be saved. He speaks here to believers who are all justified by faith alone without any works of the law and who are always under his love. And believers are under the love of Christ, and they love Christ as well, and they show their love for him by their keeping of his commandments. Jesus said back in chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But here, this is a further incentive to make our obedience most desirable to us and sweet to our souls For if you keep my commandments, he says, you will abide in my love. Meaning, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in the felt manifestations of my love, in greater disclosures of my love. If you keep my commandments, then I will come to you by my spirit and by my word, and I will make to you further discoveries of my love to you. It is really the same thing that he just said back in chapter 14 and verse 21. We can turn back there for just a moment. Chapter 14 and verse 21. Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. And then in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So back in chapter 10 and verse 15, when, back in chapter 15 and verse 10, when Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, He is not speaking of a sinless or a perfect 
keeping of his commandments, but a sincere and real obedience. He knows we have many sins which must be washed away, but nevertheless, our efforts, our obedience is still his delight. He loves righteousness and he loves our obedience whenever he sees it. And so he promises to come and visit with us and make known to us more assurances of his love to us. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The love of Christ, we may think of it this way, that the love of Christ for us in regard to our justification is an eternal and unchanging love and nothing can ever separate us from that love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But we may think of this love here as his love in regard to our sanctification, his love that is revealed to us so that the more we keep his commandments, the more his love is made known to us by the Spirit and by the Word. If you keep my commandments, the promise is you will abide in my love. But then Jesus makes a very similar statement in the second half of verse 10 in regard to himself and his father. He says, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice the words there, just as, meaning that there is a similarity between you keeping my commandments and abiding in my love and me keeping my heavenly father's commandments and abiding in his love. When Jesus came into the world, the father gave him commandments of all that he was to do, the commandment to fulfill the law, the commandments of all of his mighty works, the commandments of what he was to say and do and all of the Father's will for our salvation, including the commandment of the cross. And Jesus here is looking back and he says, just as I have kept past tense. He knew that he had kept all of his Father's commandments perfectly. He was about to pray in John 17 and verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And just as we abide in Christ's love by keeping his commandments, so he abode in his Father's love by keeping his Father's commandments. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love, not, not the eternal love which the Father had for him as the person of the Son, which was infinite and unchanging, but the Father's favor, the Father's delight and love over him in his work as the God-man, the mediator. Not that there was or could have ever been any disobedience in Christ or any loss of his Father's love, but his obedience to his father's commandments was the condition of his abiding in his father's love. This was the way he was to continue. This was the way he was to remain under the love and the approbation and the delight of his heavenly father over him. This was the way that the love and the flavor of the father was to keep on increasing. The obedience of Jesus was always perfect. It was always willing and voluntary. And the obedience of Jesus always brought joy and delight to the heart of God the Father. The Father loves righteousness and his love and joy over righteousness came to its highest point in his love and favor upon his beloved Son. As the trials and the struggles of his ministry increased, so he grew in obedience. And there was no greater love and delight of the Father upon him. What began in Luke chapter 2, Jesus kept increasing in favor with God. Now it continued throughout his ministry. And Jesus kept increasing in favor with God and with the love and delight of his heavenly father over him.
just as I have always, just as I have increasingly kept my father's commandments, whatever they might be, so I have always and increasingly continued to abide in his love. We come to our last point tonight, which is regarding the cross, the increasing love and delight of the Father upon Jesus at the cross. We'll turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 17 and 18. Jesus said in verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again, that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, This commandment I received from my father. Jesus speaks of his coming death upon the cross as his father's commandment to him to lay down his life for the sheep. He mentioned this back in verse 10 to 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. To lay down his life for the sheep meant for him to give up his life under the wrath of God for our sins and for him to be a propitiation in his blood and to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There was surely no greater or higher act of obedience that there could ever be than for Jesus to obey this commandment of the Father. No greater love to the Father, no greater Obedience could ever be manifested then for the Son of God to leave his throne of glory, to humble himself in this world as a man, and to give his life a ransom for many upon the death of a cross. Jesus says in verse 18 that his obedience to his Father's commandment was willing, voluntary, and of his own initiative. He says, no one, no one has taken it from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. And back in verse 17, he says, for this reason, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Jesus knew the father loved him from eternity as his beloved son in that infinite and unchanging love. But Jesus speaks here of the Father's love and favor upon him in his work as the Savior. And he speaks of that love as if the whole cause and reason of his Father's love for him was because of his willingness to lay down his life for his people. As if to say, this is why my father has such love for me, that I have come into this world to give my life for sinners. The father so desires the salvation of sinners that he has sent his beloved son into the world and the father's favor and love increases as the son is most willing to give his life for sinners. The father was so pleased with Christ's love for us, even to the death of the cross, that his love for us only increased the Father's love for him. This is why, this is the reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life for the sheep. The Father had loved his Son as the second person of the Trinity from all eternity. But now he loved him as the God-man, as the Savior. And the Father's love came to its highest pinnacle, and he loved him in every way as the man now in obedience to the cross. For this reason the Father loves me, 
and no higher love could there ever be because I lay down my life. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin comments on this love in verse 17, and he says, it is spoken in relation to his fulfilling the command mentioned, laying down his life, as if God should love Christ the better for the love he should show to us. The Father loves the Son better, he says, for the love that he shows for us. In other words, the more Christ loves us, the more the Father loves him. And when the love of Christ came to its highest pinnacle in the death of the cross, then the Father's love for him came to its highest pinnacle as well. And the Father, who had loved him from all eternity, now loved him in every way, not just as the Son of God in his person, but as the God-man in his role as Savior and mediator for sinners. The love, the favor, and the, the, the delight of the Father upon him kept increasing from the days of his childhood. And now it continued until it came to its highest point in the death of the cross for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. He quickly mentions the resurrection at the end of verse 17. He says that I may take it up again because the cross was not the defeat of Jesus and the cross was not the end of Jesus. The cross was the victory of Jesus over the powers of darkness, death, and sin. And it was quickly followed by his resurrection to eternal life. We'll turn to a couple of other passages quickly to see these ideas, and we'll come to first to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And I'll begin reading in verse 7 and make some brief comments. In verse 7, we read, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save from death, and he was heard because of his piety. This refers to the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus entered the garden and fell upon his face on the ground in prayer with loud crying and tears as he knew that he was headed toward the death of the cross. Then we read in verse 8, although he was a son, although he was the eternal son of God, yet he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Not that he was ever in a state of disobedience and then passed into a state of obedience, but as he always did the will of his heavenly father, it brought him into increasing depths of suffering. And at each stage, as he suffered, he learned and grew in greater measures of obedience. He learned increasing degrees of submission and obedience to his heavenly Father until he came to that point of perfect obedience in Gethsemane and at the cross. And as we read in verse 9, and having been made perfect, as he came to his death upon the cross, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal life. So he speaks of Gethsemane and the cross. We should turn to what the writer speaks of in the Garden of Gethsemane in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. In Matthew, chapter 26. And I'll read beginning at verse 36. Matthew 26 and verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. 
And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Three times, three times in the Garden of Eden, and it seems as if each time was at least an hour in length, Jesus cried to his heavenly Father in prayer, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But then each time he concluded with his willingness to obey and submit to his heavenly Father, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. His obedience to his Father's will was now coming to its highest possible point as he came to the death of the cross. It is one thing for someone to say, I will obey when it involves suffering. It is another thing to actually obey and endure the suffering. The obedience of Jesus as a child in Luke chapter 2 was an obedience of one level that the Father took great pleasure in. The obedience of his temptations, the obedience through the trials of his public ministry was of another level, of which the Father said on different occasions, this is my beloved Son at his baptism in whom I am well pleased and at his transfiguration as well. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. But here... But here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is entering into an obedience that is above any other. Here is obedience which cannot be exceeded. No greater act of obedience could the Father ever ask of his beloved Son. No suffering more terrible no shame, no agony more dreadful, no loss greater, no humiliation deeper, as he was made now a curse for our sin, and the Father was placing the cup of his wrath against our sins into the hands of Jesus. The cup which Jesus had to drink is unfathomable to us. And the depths of that cup we will never know, even for all eternity, as our sins, which are so many, and the sins of the world were placed upon him. All we can do tonight and into eternity is to worship and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. As there could never be any higher obedience of the Son, so there could never be any higher favor, delight and love of the Father upon him. Here is an obedience which our salvation rests upon completely and which is our only hope as lost sinners. The only way for our sins to be cleansed away, the only way for us to have those white robes in heaven, the only way for us to stand righteous 
before God on the last day. Jesus asked if it is possible for the cup to be taken from him, if there is some other way which the Father, by which the Father could save sinners than by his death upon the cross, he merely asked if it was possible. Yet he was always willing to obey, always ready to submit to his Father's will when the answer came. And the answer came by his Father's silence. And Jesus knew there was no other way to save sinners. And so he obeyed the Father's commandment and went to the cross and drank the cup of the Father's wrath. In verse 46, he said, Arise, let us be going. We cannot begin to comprehend the depths of suffering which Jesus faced. And we cannot even begin to understand the difficulty of those words, Not my will, but thy will be done. Paul speaks of this obedience in Philippians chapter 2, our last passage tonight. Philippians and chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, speaking of Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What began in the obedience of his childhood as he kept increasing in favor with God now came to its culmination in the highest point of obedience possible in the obedience of death, even the death of the cross. And there was never more favor and delight and love in the heart of God the Father for his beloved Son Then when he obeyed his commandment to go to the cross and the father heard those words from the cross in heaven, it is finished. And Jesus bowed his head in obedience and gave up his spirit. The father was never more pleased with his beloved son, even at the time when he was pouring down his wrath upon him. For this reason, Jesus says, for this reason, I hang upon this cross under the wrath of God for my sin. For this reason, the Father loves me. The Father loves me even now. As I cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even in the darkness, the Father still loved him. And the whole life of Jesus was a life in which he grew, increased in wisdom, in obedience, and in the pleasure and the joy of his heavenly Father over him. And the Father's delight, where do we see it? The Father's love and delight over his Son at the cross. We see it in the resurrection, which is what Paul speaks of now in verse 9 and following. Therefore, because of that obedience to the point of death upon the cross, therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. The approval, the ultimate approval and the favor of the Father upon him at the cross, the resurrection and the exaltation back into glory. So we close now tonight with three very short applications. And the first is to any who do not know our Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior. Verses 10 and 11 in this passage 
Tell us what you and every person must do in this world. You will bow your knee and you will confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The only question is, will you do it now as the door of mercy to you is still open and you may come and you may bow your knee to him tonight and confess him to be Lord and he will save you and forgive you of all your sins. Or will you resist him and stay in your sin until the last day of judgment and then you will bow your knee and confess him to be Lord with great terror as he says to you, depart from me. I never knew you. Into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. Come to him tonight and be saved. Bow your will, bow your knee to him. Confess him to be Lord and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me of all your sin, my sin. The second Application is that we must worship God tonight and give thanks to him as we take the Lord's Supper, as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup. We are to remember his death until he comes and in heaven they worship him as the lamb that was slain and we should worship him as well and adore him as the one who has come to take away our sins. And then the last thing we can say is that it should be our aim to always be increasing in pleasing our Lord Jesus Christ in every way. Just as he grew in pleasing his heavenly Father, so we may grow in pleasing him as our Savior and in pleasing our heavenly Father. The Bible speaks often of Christians pleasing God and increasing in their knowledge and in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God who loves righteousness and he loves and he rejoices in righteousness wherever he sees it in the lives of his people. It is part of his reward. Our living in righteousness is part of the reward of his sufferings. And may he have the reward of his sufferings in our lives. Let us pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for him as our great savior. Oh Lord, thank you for your cross and your willingness by which you came into this world to take that terrible curse upon yourself and to rescue us from it. O oh Lord, what can we say and how can we ever give thanks? We should bow before you and give honor and praise and glory to you that the day is coming when we will be among those who are washed in the blood of Christ and clothed in those white robes. Thank you that it is even true now tonight for all of us who believe and your love is upon us in this way. Lord Jesus, may we always increase and please you, and may your delight be upon us. Thank you now as we partake of the Lord's Supper. May you give us fresh faith by the Holy Spirit that we may eat and drink and rejoice and be glad for all that you have done. We thank you now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.